0: So today, today we're actually, last week we talked about the wilderness. Today we're going to be talking about winning. Right? That's exciting. Who likes to win? We're all winners in here. Amen. All right. So early in chapter 17, we, in the book of Exodus, we hear the people complaining uh, to God, but God instructs Moses to strike the rock and wa- water comes gushing out. We're going to stay in that same chapter 7, but we're going uh, 17, and we're going to be reading verse 8 to 13. If you got your Bibles with me, turn to that. We're going to be reading the whole thing right now. Exodus 17, 8 to 13. Um, if you have your phones, you could do it on your phone too. If you have an Android, I don't know what's wrong with you. But, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you know, you know. All right. Let's read the Bible. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 to 13. It's a very calm environment here, okay? so if you, it's, it's okay. You could laugh with me. It makes me feel better. Trust me. Um, While the people of Israel were still in Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua. Choose some men to go out and fight the army of the Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of the Amalek, of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron and Hur climbed to the top of the, of the nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hands, the Israelites had the advantage, but whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up so aaron and her brought found a stone for him to sit on then they stood on each side of moses holding up his hands so his hands held steady until sunset as a result joshua overwhelmed the army of the of the amalek of amalek in battle you know um this this story has a powerful spiritual leadership principle that we we find in it. The steps that Moses and these individuals that we read about take when presented with some sort of adversity in their lives is so key and important in how they act. In verse 8, we very quickly see that this was an unforeseen moment for them, that Moses just like wasn't expecting. Whoa, that was me? Sorry. Guys, (laughs) I'm loud now. No, that's going to be on the podcast. I better stop. Okay. Um, Wow, that's, yeah, you might want to turn me down a little bit because I'm going to get excited. Um, So they go, they very quickly see that this opposition begins and they go from dealing uh, with a group of whiny individuals to dealing now with an army that's being, that they're being attacked with by, with the Amalekites coming after them. When the Amalekites attack, Moses very quickly goes into action. And he plans very quickly to do a counterattack like any good leader will do. They say that anytime you mix a little loyalty with a little imagination, you've got a good man of God in your hands. And, and we see kind of Moses just steps right into leadership right away when the opposition comes up. It's so important to have the right leader in our lives. Would you agree with me? If you've ever served at a job somewhere or been anywhere where where you followed a leader, it is so crucial and important that the right leadership surrounds us. It is more important for our lives than we tend to think it is. You may despise that person as an individual because of the way they interact, but in the process, you are gaining so much from that individual. I used to have a boss that he would make this comment to me that always rubbed me the wrong way. Early on. I was very, you know, I, I've always been very—I um, uh, don't know how to explain it. Like I, 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 I like to. I'm a perfectionist. I like, I like to do things well. I like to overachieve. I like to be the go-getter in the room. I like, I like to be that guy. And he, and when I would mess up, he would say, "You were this close to perfection, Moises. And he, would, I was like, "Oh, don't say that to me." You know, I'm the wrong guy. He was, "You were this close, so close, like this close to perfection." I'm like, "Man, that's so mean." But But you don't understand that the development that 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 those things that develop in your life from having the right leadership could be so important. This is the first biblical reference that we see of the name Joshua come up. This is the first time Joshua is presented to us where the name means Lord saved the Lord saves. How unique and appropriate that at a time of battle the future leader the one that who is going to conquer Canaan. Canaan appears first in a military role with Moses where his name is first called out to go and fight. And pick people. As if Moses wasn't already a good leader. We also are given Joshua in this picture when it comes to this battle. It is so important to understand that in this point of the story, faith in God was again required, but effective leadership was essential. In Proverbs 28, 8, 18, it says where there's no vision, the people perish. There comes a time in our lives where leadership is important, where it's much needed. Obviously, t- today's sermon is about leadership. It's funny that the room is, is, is it's, it's small because we're going to be talking about leadership this morning. It's, it's meant for a unique group of individuals that are called to a certain purpose. You know, if God found it important to highlight leaders throughout the entire scripture then it must be important for us and it should be important for our purpose that for us not to ignore. The fact is that true leadership is essential in every scenario of life. You may be sitting here today and say, Moises, I'm a great leader. I don't need this. Good for you. Or you may be sitting here today, I don't need anything. I'm just a bystander. I don't need to hear this. And as much as I would agree with both of those statements, I believe, that I want to clarify this morning that we are all called to lead at one level or not. At some level, you and your life are called to lead at one point. Whether it is with your children, with your spouse, in life, at work, at church, it doesn't matter. We are all in this room called to lead at some point. Your leadership may be permanent. Your leadership may be temporary. But at some point in life, you are going to be called to lead. We are all leaders. Okay. Now, I mean, the Bible calls us and commands us to make disciples. And disciples are exactly that. It's not people that are going to be following you. It's people that are going to be following you and through the example of how you follow Jesus in your life. Because as transformation happens, one of the things that we get from God is, 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 is we're, we begin to be molded by Jesus And then the the very next step that God gives you is he offers us an opportunity to lead with him in his kingdom, to be part of something bigger. So as the past is left behind us, the future becomes an invitation from God to be part of his legacy as people of God. I believe that every follower of Jesus will serve as a leader at some capacity in their lives in how they live their lives, in how they interact with one another. Now, what is one of the most important things about leadership that stands out when you meet a leader? When you call someone a leader, what do they need? Followers. It's pretty straightforward. You can't lead without without having followers. It is so important. Have you ever met someone who claimed to be a leader but nobody wanted to follow him? It's pretty sad, right? They're I'll take over, and everybody's like, "No, I, I won't follow that." It's a pretty, it's a pretty sad, sad thing to see, but it is important. There will be seasons in our lives where we will be called to lead, and others where we will simply be called to follow. What is another good characteristic of a leader? They're usually good followers. When you meet a good leader, most of the time that good leader, it's a pretty good follower. It makes that person stand out. In the story we just read, we clearly see a group of men who first learned to follow their human assigned role given to them by God. And most importantly, learn how to follow God. And now we see them implementing the new learned, that new learned leadership skill that they had. To put forth the plan of God. Not only for their own personal benefit, but for the people that they were leading in that moment. And we're going to go through the text a little bit and break down um, how, how their leadership skill through this newfound adversity displayed. And we're just going to kind of break it down. There's no way I could do an entire leadership seminar here this morning in 30 minutes, okay? But I'm going to give you a quick look at what these men did through their leadership in the hopes that it would inspire you to know. That number one, you're being called to lead something. And number two, are you doing it right? Am I leaning on God? Am I allowing him to work through me? You know? Or is it just something I'm doing to pump my chest? Leading with the right intentions. Number one, verse nine, it says, Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight. Choose some men to go out and fight what we see here is clear as instructions with a little bit tru- uh, a little bit of trust and delegation. Moses commands Joshua to do something but gives him the flexibility to utilize his skill set and expertise to pick up and select the right people. All right? It's the opposite of micromanagement. You guys you guys like being micromanaged? Oh no. No. I'll tell you what sometimes it's needed but Very, not for long. If you're micromanaging someone for too long, it's it's, there's something wrong there. You know, Moses trusted Joshua. Something about Moses and his leadership, about Joshua and his leadership, caused Moses to trust him in this season to pick the right people for the assignment. It didn't require him to 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 dictate what what he was going to tell Joshua to do to an extent. No, he let Joshua. Decide what that would be, who those people were going to be. We sometimes think leadership is all about control. And sometimes all it comes down is to good utilization. We take it for granted. It is realizing that the people that God has aligned beside us are there for a reason and have a unique strength that may not be our strength. And as a good leader, you identify those things and utilize those strengths. We do it with our children. We know what their what their highs and lows are, what, what triggers them, what doesn't trigger them, what they would enjoy to do. I know if I tell Sebastian, you're not going to play with the drone when you get home tonight, he'll listen to me instantly because he's obsessed with drones. I started that. That's my fault. So we, we know the strength and the weaknesses of people. If you end up cashing yourself, undermining others in order to make yourself feel higher or bigger, feel better about yourself or more in charge of a situation, this becomes real evident that there's a problem with the leadership skill in your life. And you may say, Moises, I'm not in charge of a corporation, but hey, you may be in charge of your home. And you may be having to lead your home a certain way. There may be people around you relying on you to say the right things, to do the right things. We don't lead our children by undermining them, do we? We don't. We're trying to empower our children. We don't lead our spouses by looking down on them. No, they're in our lives on purpose for a purpose. It is our job as a good leader to identify how those purposes best fit the family dynamic. When I first got married to Rosie, why are you laughing? This could be a very serious moment. <laughs> when I first got married to Rosie, she was making more money than me. All right, I'll jump out there and say it. I wasn't proud about it. No, I'm just kidding. You know, she was making more money than me. So obviously I thought she would be better at she was She was working for AT&T as a, as a store manager. And I thought to myself, well, she must be real techie. And she's got more money than I do, so she should handle our finances, okay? And for two years of our marriage, she handled our finances, you know, paying the bills and, and, and doing that sort of thing. But then we quickly very realized that, hey, you know, I'm techie, but she even said it, like, this is not for me, you know? After a few things hit our credit, you know, there's some mispayments here and there, you know, I won't jump out there and share all the details. Not that I'm still angry about it 15 years later, I'm, I'm just saying... Uh, you know, we <laughs> no, we, 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 we very quickly, she even said it. She said this, you know, you, you should probably take this over. And, and, and we've been doing it like that ever since. But it's, it's that concept, right? We, we know our strengths. We know the people that we're around. And it's our job as leaders to, to do the proper utilization of those people, to put those people to work in the right areas, to identify their strengths and their weaknesses, so that they could effectively make an impact in the area that we're causing them to make an impact. One of the words that stands out to me in this verse is that Moses uses uses the word some when talking about people, not all. He said, find some men. This is a great indicator to help us understand that there are different roles that we're going to be involved in. We are not all going to be called to the same thing. Some are going to be called to fight. Others are going to be called to pray. Others are going to be called to serve. Others are going to be called to sit and attend and just sit there. And so on and so forth. Leaders create the synergy where teamwork is greater and stronger than individual effort. You must believe that that there is power in numbers. That we could go further if we go together. I love one of the quotes one of our missionaries used in a window that they had. They said, if you want to go fast, go along. If you want to go far, go together. I've always been a firm believer that oh, I could do so much by myself, man. People drag me down, you know. But it's not true. I need every single individual. Every single person got places with me here at whatever level to either lead me or for me to lead them at one level or another. But as leaders, we are called to see past that and say to ourselves, there is something greater ahead that we can do together and accomplish together as people. So go and select some. The principle to this first point of of this verse is that we are stronger together. There is strength in numbers. Look, look, look at look at the person next to you. You are stronger because of them. Whoever that individual may be, you are stronger because of them. They make you better. If you ever think that that person next to you is holding you down, you're looking at it completely wrong. Number two, in the bottom of verse 10, we see, Meanwhile, Moses and Aaron and her climb to the top of the hill nearby hill which kind of kind of leads from one one point to the next it says we are always doing something as leaders no matter what this life is not just about delegating you may delegate one responsibility your kid may be old enough to start cutting the grass but guess what as a dad that just means you got to do one more thing you're always doing something as a leader the instructions given here were specific to joshua and moses Moses says to Joshua specifically, go and fight and I will stand on the top of the hill. No one instructed Aaron and her to come out of nowhere. At least we don't see it in scripture. You would think maybe in some hallway conversation, Moses was like, you too, follow me, you know. But we don't see it in scripture. Therefore, I'm going to take it and run with it. In fact, they were just there instructions given by Moses earlier were just for himself and Joshua but we see for some reason this guy Aaron and her tag along and it's so important because the big reason why I love Friday nights here is that we come together as people and we help one another one of the coolest things about Fridays is that we come together as a family to set up this place and you don't really have to tell people what to do we've gotten to that point like hey good to see you and they just start grabbing stuff there isn't i mean they may have questions about you know different details of things but it just happens it's awesome to just see people together come together and understand their purpose and what they're called to do well at the beginning of the story their involvement may feel insignificant the overall purpose was the key outcome to the story you see aaron and her and you see them walking behind moses and you say what are you doing Leave the man of God alone. He doesn't need you. He's going to the top of the hill to pray by himself. And although that sadly insignificant moment tends to destroy in a lot of times our leadership. Have you ever measured what you do as insignificant, therefore stop doing it because of it? That's a difficult place to be. You know who measures things? We do we're the ones that say this is not good enough for me i'm above this we're the ones that do that we're the ones that say what they're doing is more important than what i'm doing we're the ones that measure that we're the ones that hinder ourselves we have such a horrible habit of ranking things we do in our lives as insignificant or significant as if one responsibility was more powerful than the next and hardly do we ever consider segments of our lives because we did those things so useless. We act like these things that happen in our lives. Ah, that's not such a big deal. It's not that important. Our entire faith is built on stories that started as insignificant stories. You have Noah, just a good family man that helped God practically reset creation. David, an insignificant farm boy with the, with the sling, changes the course of the entire nation, becomes one of the most mentioned characters in the entire scripture. An insignificant story. Mary, a young girl, picked to give birth to the Savior. Ruth, Esther, Jonah, Peter, Jesus, all stories that seemed insignificant. But that packed a punch and became one of the most powerful stories Ever told something that started off so insignificant became so significant it's one or two things either too simple to be important or too difficult to do it alone did you know that it was okay to ask for help are you one of those people that don't ask for help are you that guy that drives somewhere and won't look at the instructions or the directions i know where i'm going are you that type of person it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard one guy in the back seat. yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's funny. <clears throat> you know, it says that in verse 12, it says that Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and her found a stone for him to sit on. They stood on each side of Moses, holding, his, his, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset when we get tired when we need help it's okay to ask for it it's okay to ask for it some of us are too proud to accept it you know it it, it happens a lot with with men we're kind of proud have you ever met that person where you say have a seat they're like no i'm fine they don't maybe they don't need to have a seat but we, we carry around this like this i don't need your help attitude we're fine, we don't, you know. And it, it, it kind of, I think it kind of hinders us as people. You know, did you know that God does not need you to overwork in order for his kingdom to come? I know you're important. I know you're super important. But God does not need us. That God does not need us. You know, I, I, I always, I've always been, I've been hammered with this as of late, and I think it's so important, is that the concept that it is it is better for us to work as leaders out of a place of rest than it is for us to work towards a place of rest, okay? Let me explain that to you. What do we do every week when we have vacation coming up at work? We work long hours. We get everything caught up. We try to do our best because we don't want to be bothered vacation time, right? So we're working hard. We're working hard leading up to the moment of rest. And when the moment of rest gets here, we're like, ah, we're here. We made it. But how much more effective would it be if you were so rested that you would be able to lead in God's kingdom out of a place of rest? That you would come out of that believing that God has something important for you to accomplish. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, it says, First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. And friends, I tell you, pride is not a side of faith I want to be in. Okay? I always say, God says, the Bible says, God opposes the proud. That word oppose means he switches sides. He comes against you. He doesn't leave you alone. He opposes you. When there's any ounce of pride inside of us, God switches sides and says, I don't like that, therefore I'm coming against you. Who wants to be in that side of faith? Sign me up. Absolutely not. Everyone has a role to play. No role is more important than the other. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two people are better than one. For they can help each other succeed. Ecclesiastes 4, 12, later on in verse 12, it says, a person standing along can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Friends, knowledge, knowledge can be learned one page at a time, but wisdom is earned one day at a time. I said it earlier, and we don't. You know Moses instructed Aaron and her he, he didn't tell him to come I, I love the that when leadership happens naturally like that yeah you, know, you, you don't have to force it you know I, I have this statement uh, below on my website in the website when you go look at my at my picture of my family in our website I, I've always I I have this statement in there that I really truly believe I I said I we, we get it wrong in leader, leadership. We, we lead only with contradiction and correction. And I say on there, my, my strongest leadership comes from my influence. You know, it's easy to tell somebody you did it wrong or no, you shouldn't do it this way, you should do it this way. But, but, but what's harder is to have people follow you in leadership and do things just because you influence them to do it. That they know exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it, simply because you've caused influence in their lives. It is so powerful to me. To me, that's long-lasting. It's easier to tell people what to do. But influencing them is a whole other deal. One of the biggest mistakes we make as leaders is we try to lead people to places we have never been. The most essential quality of, of, of leadership is not our perfection as people. It's credibility. If we fail that, we fail everything. Jesus never lowered his standard but he always started and went and met people right where they were. The Bible says in verse and number 3 real quickly I'm taking too long here. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. At some point in life your leadership is going to require some sort of action from you. It's not going to be all prayer. At times, some skill is going to be required. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, If the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed. But listen to this. It says, but skill brings success. But skill brings success. God says skill, not just dedication, will bring success. Leadership will require you to to, to be versatile in what you do and how you act. If all you have is a hammer in your your ministry toolbox, guess what you're going to do? You're going to treat everybody as a nail. You have to be versatile in your leadership. The prayer of Moses was important, but when the record shows, it shows that Joshua overwhelmed them in battle. I love the the ESV translation when it says, and I put it up on the screen, it says in Joshua overwhelmed Amalek, and his people with what? With the sword. You'd be standing, Moses, you're standing there. You're like, wait a minute. What about my prayer? What about me not being able to hold my hands up? And the guy's helping me up. With the sword. Wow. When the records recollect that prayer didn't win it, it had something to do with it, and it was very important, but the sword won the battle. Listen, life will take action from us. It takes systems. It takes work. What is the best burger place in town? Call it. Someone say it to me. Cookout. Really? Me. <laughs> 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 All right. I, you know, I, I thought of a lot of places. But cookout. Never in a million years did I think someone was gonna say cookout. We're gonna have to go to cookout, honey. After this, try that burger. (laughs) Man, you threw me off. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, that. I've never had. I've only had chicken tenders there, and my stomach hurts every time I have them. So, no. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So, you know, but what's interesting is that, you know, a lot of people like to say, you know, we, we have like we Rosie and I like Dunwell's in Hill, We think that they have a good burger. Right. And then there's different burger places in town. Then, you know, you say the best burger in town is this. Then why is it that McDonald's sells more burgers than anybody else? It's cheap. OK. Because that's, that's, that's. it's sometimes, guys, the product is not the problem. It's the system. The product could be amazing. So great. But if the system, people say that your church will not grow to its vision, but it will fall in its systems. There comes a point where if the system is good, There's only one question left to ask. How healthy are you to execute the plan? When it's all said and done, the effectiveness of our leadership in any area of life comes down to our personal health and how you're living and how you're dealing with life. There's a man that reflected leadership and he said this and I wrote it down because I thought it was so unique. He said, there was a time in my life When the work that God was doing through me was killing the work that God was doing in me. And we could get so caught up, so caught up in so many things. I believe, I tell everybody, you're a learner first and a leader second. Learner first and a leader second. You walk into every situation, you're a learner first and a leader second. Learner first. You got something to learn from a situation. Because the same level of care that you offer to yourself, you offer to other people. When you walk into the room and say, although I'm a leader, I have something to learn in this situation, you, you, you revamp your leadership skills. And you're not leading with 20-year-old leadership that you learn. You walk into the room and you refresh that. You refresh that. You refresh that. But one of the most important things that I'll tell you, and if you remember anything about what I said this morning, remember this. It all starts with love. Leaders that lead people without love are manipulating people. Rick Warren said, leadership without love is manipulation. If you're in a position in life where you're being led and there's no love involved, you're just manipulating. You're being manipulated. If we lead our children without love, we're manipulating them. If we we lead our spouses without love, we're manipulating them. If we have leadership in our lives that leads us without love, we're being manipulated. The people that God places next to you aren't just assets for you to maneuver, for you to get by and do whatever you think is best with them. You know, leading with love changes everything. It gives you a perspective like one you've never seen before. If I told you one thing, I'll tell you never quit. You realize that quitting is always the easiest answer, right? Leaving, quitting, leaving it alone, walking away is always the easiest thing. We can't quit. There's one thing that separates successful leaders from those who struggle. You know what that is? It's not their appearance. It's not their talent. It's not their intelligence. It's not their education. No. It's not what they know. What separates them is perseverance. The refusal to quit. Angela Duckworth studied and said and found that best leaders are set apart by one thing. She called it grit. The strength of character that refuses to quit. Enthusiasm is common. Endurance is rare. The easiest thing to always do is quit. When I personally feel discouraged, I don't stop coming. I keep coming. You know, a lot of people say, man, you you, you got a lot of energy. Yeah, I woke up this morning tired. Like I lost an hour of sleep. but I commit. I want to finish. I show back up and I try it again in my marriage, in my life, with my son, when he frustrates me. I show back up again and I lead again with my wife. When we have a disagreement, I show back up. I'm a finisher. Mark Dumas was asked, how do you finish well? He was told. How do you finish well? And he says, you do well until you finish. Pretty simple, right? We focus so much on the end goal of leadership and how our children are going to turn out. And what are we going to do with our marriage when we retired? And when I grow up, where am I going to become? And what I'm going to do. Just do well in the process. As you get called to lead, to be in certain specific areas of your life, step up to the plate and don't quit. Don't quit. You have been called for a reason. Don't quit. Endurance. Perseverance. It'll get you through. You'll see what God can do through your faithfulness in a process. We're all leaders. The question is, are you ready to never quit? Are you ready to never quit?